Welcome back, guys, to another episode of the JWB Redraft Ramp-Up Review, a consumable redraft perspective. I'm Skylar. I got Nate on the channel today. I don't know what we had to do to get him over here, the poutine poppy himself. <laughs> We're going to dive into Nate's favorite players in every round of your fantasy draft this year. We're going to skip the first round because there's typically 12 studs. So we're going to start with round two and work our way back uh, to round nine. So Nate, who is the first player uh, that has you really excited? Yeah, the first player in round two is Garrett Wilson. I think there's a lot of hype for this guy, but in my mind, it's deservedly so. I put out a tweet uh, a couple weeks ago that there's three players in my mind that I can see being the 101 next year. Uh, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, and then Garrett Wilson was the third one. I do think that he's possibly the one other player who could ascend to that kind of level, that kind of revered status that we have for Jefferson and Chase right now. You look at the rookie year that was really impressive stuff, and we all know the train wreck that was the Jets quarterback position last year. I am kind of buying into the Aaron Rodgers revenge tour uh, kind of narrative that's out there. I do think Rodgers has a tendency to hyper-target the guys that he really likes, and I think he's going to really like Garrett Wilson. So I'm anticipating, you know, as a rookie putting up 1,100 yards, 83 receptions, I'm anticipating that with Rodgers there, if they can build a rapport quickly that there's at least a ceiling case where this time next year we're talking about Garrett Wilson as a top three pick no I think that is a great uh way to look at it and you are one on record one of the earlier people to move up on Garrett Wilson uh basically towards I would say we got there on the fantasy playoffs last year is when you really started to move him up and by the time we finally got to the offseason you had him at least from a dynasty perspective as your third wide receiver in your own rankings. So it is not you riding the wave here with Aaron Rodgers coming to the Jets. Uh, I think there's a lot of legitimacy to it. Obviously, we don't need to let the people know Aaron's track record with this wide receiver one. Or, you know, given hard knocks and everything you see at camp, there's all these reports how well they're connecting. And um, there's a lot of reason to be excited. It was early in the offseason, I felt like, especially with underdog drafts, if people are drafting on there, you see them going a lot of times between pick 10 to 14, and that's like a little tougher to swallow. But a lot of your home leagues where running backs are appropriately uh, valued, him going between pick 17 to 20 is great. It really yeah. is great. I feel like you're getting uh, a wide receiver one for you know lower than – where you should be because I, I would put good money down that he finishes top 12. Um, he, he came out that way in my projections and I feel pretty good about it. Absolutely. All right, Nate, who is your guy in round three? Round three, I'm targeting Mark Andrews this year. Uh, there's a lot that's been said already about the new offensive coordinator in Baltimore, Todd Munkin, and what he might do for this offense. All the preseason reports have been that that is indeed true, that we are going to see uh, much more, I guess, 2023 level offense, passing focused, letting Lamar Jackson spread it out to a number of people. And make no mistake, Mark Andrews is the number one receiver in Baltimore. I think he's well set up to dominate a target share once again. And at the tight end position, you're getting a separator from everyone else. Uh, he's a clear tier above everybody except Kelsey. I think you have Kelsey as in a tier of his own, then you've got Mark Andrews in a tier of his own. But the difference between Kelsey and Andrews is you get two rounds of ADP difference on Andrews. So I'm 
pretty into Andrews this year at that price in that third round. I think it's a good spot to be looking into him. And I'm pretty bullish on his chances to go over a thousand yards this year and really separate from everybody below him and in Kelsey. Yeah, he's the one predictive piece of that offense, really. Uh, you'll see with our wide receivers episode coming out with Tim and I, when we talked about this wide receiver room in Baltimore, it really is difficult to separate the three wide receivers that are there and know exactly how the volume is going to play out and if it even matters at the end of the day, if any of them are going to be overly relevant um, without you know an injury to one or two of them. And with Mark Andrews, it's pretty predictive. I have him over 100 targets again. I have him projected around 945 yards, which is, a, again, a conservative line. I think 1,000 is completely it's completely there. It's very difficult for tight ends traditionally to get over 1,000 yards. It's not a, like a common occurrence. It might be one or two no. guys a season. So I really like that. And obviously with this offense, I think that this division could end up being the shootout division in the NFL this year. I'm record saying that I think all four teams in there could have a pace of play over 65 per game with Baltimore finally being the one to get up to speed. And uh, that excites me a lot for Mark Andrews. There, of course, is the little bit of a wet blanket right now with his injuries where he hasn't been practicing. And we mm -hmm. don't exactly know. But Harbaugh did say that uh, there was something like no need to panic about that or something like that. He said he's going to be out there next week. It should be good for week one. So hopefully we can get a healthy Mark Andrews because that was really the only reason he felt a disappointment last year where he was performing right. no matter what we had from Lamar Jackson. So I'm all with it as well. I had uh, one of my coworkers just yesterday. I was helping him with him and Mark Andrews fell to pick 42, which felt actually absurd. And um, yep. I would have been yelling at my, my coworker to get him, but I could, I couldn't do it because he took Kelsey in round one, you know, that <laughs> it's always the way it goes. You know, the, the, the draft you take Kelsey is going to be the one Andrews keeps falling. But yeah, that being said, Nate, I'm really excited for your fourth option. Who do you like in round four? Yeah, in round four, I'm going to take Brees Hall here. Uh, Tyler and I took Brees Hall actually at the 412 in a $350 Fantasy Pros Championship over on FFPC. Uh, we're pretty into that price for Brees Hall, obviously. Uh, I just think that you're playing for upside in this game, right? And Brees Hall represents all the upside in the world. Sure, there is the ACL concern. How fast can he come back? When will he start to look like the explosive player that we saw last year? We don't know that for sure, but I'm willing to bet that in the fourth round, I can get a guy who is going to be there for me in my fantasy playoffs and is actually going to be one of these guys who has the potential to actually outright win weeks for me when it matters most. So I'm pretty interested in Brees Hall at this price. Obviously, I've got a couple of the major pieces from the Jets offense, so I'm buying in on the Jets offense as a whole as well. I think that it's going to be well worth the price on both these guys, and I'm just pretty bullish that Brees Hall is going to be that guy at the end of the year. What happens at the beginning of the year is still up for debate. Maybe you need a couple of other players to float you through the early weeks as Brees Hall gets back up to speed as they mix Delvin Cook in a little more, but I fully anticipate that almost regardless of the amount of touches that he gets, I think by the end of the season, he's going to be taking over some weeks for you and winning you some matchups. No, I think that's the really important part of this argument is when is Brees Hall going to be making a difference? When is he really going to be at full speed? And the answer hopefully is for your fantasy playoffs. That's the bet we're making here. We're taking the talent, right? And in a landscape where we all want to grab our favorite wide receivers in round, you know, one, two, three, the fact that you can turn around and grab Brees Hall in round four and a lot of drafts even further down than that, uh, it feels really, really good. Where it's a bet on talent. We saw Brees Hall in the sample size we had last year. 
fifth game in the NFL, almost 200 yards and a touchdown. The guy is a special talent. People had their question marks whether or not the athleticism would necessarily translate to production at the next level, and they shouldn't have had those concerns. He came in, and I think he proved everybody wrong. Even with Dalvin Cook going there, guys, I have Dalvin Cook getting 199 opportunities. I still have Brees getting 275, and the more valuable ones, I have him as the third leading target on this team. I think once we get past uh, Garrett Wilson and Alan Lazard, it's Brees Hall is kind of that third guy. So Mm -hmm. uh, that's the part of Brees Hall's game that really gets me excited. He is elite in the passing game. So as long as he's out there and uh, getting the snaps, he's going to be getting receptions, and that is the part of his game that really, really excites me because I think it can add – upwards of almost 400 yards and a couple touchdowns. And that will really boost the players uh, end of season finish. All right, Nate, we got round five. This one is a little spicier. Yeah, this one's going to be Kyle Pitts. Now, Kyle Pitts, the ADP that I pulled from sleeper for this uh, was 59.7. So right at the end of the fifth round here is about where Kyle Pitts is going on sleeper currently. But uh, I am pretty interested in Kyle Pitts. Uh, we have the proof of concept, right? We saw the thousand yard rookie season. We know that Pitts is good. It's really just uh, the concern is what we saw last year and what this offense is going to be this year. And I'm kind of of the mind that it can't really be much worse than last year. I don't know how much better it's going to be this year, but I don't think it's going to be worse. And I do think that there's a pretty solid chance that between Pitts and London, they both pull like 30% target share something ridiculous and it's just a one-two show with Bijan running the ball out of the backfield and they really focus in on their star players and getting the ball to their star players and letting them work so that's what I'm kind of buying into here the other part of this for me is just I'm really interested in chasing the upside at the tight end position and when I see a guy going in the back end of round five who has a chance to elevate himself into that kind of Mark Andrews territory that I was talking about earlier where he's a true difference maker versus the other tight ends I'm just willing to take that bet there's not a lot of players when you get here that have that true like league winning league altering kind of upside in this spot and I'm always going to be chasing that upside I'm always going to have my rose colored glasses on a little bit when you see a tight end with that kind of upside and lingering here in the back end of the fifth yeah it's i like what you said about chasing you know the potential difference makers the upside with these tight ends and there's a tight end who goes two spots before him and one two after him where the guy two spots ahead of him darren waller is why i haven't found myself taking any kyle pitts i i'm on record if you go back in the clips catalog and you go find our takes on darren waller saying that i think he's the only guy outside of andrews and kelsey that really has league winning upside where i think kyle pitts is extremely talented the team level just really does have me concerned the guy two after him is dallas goddard now that's the exact opposite i think dallas goddard is a fraud he's a guy you take because you're like oh i need a tight end all the good ones are gone you take dallas goddard and he ends up finishing his tight end 10 or tight end 11 but you drafted him in the fifth or sixth round as you know tight end seven or tight end eight i feel like it's never Never a good investment where with Kyle Pitts, at least um, there is that upside. We have seen the proof of uh, concept, as you mentioned. Um, I was on with Chuck Bass on his show uh, re- just this last weekend, and we were talking about fantasy fears this upcoming season. And I had to think of something that could potentially 
put me off. Not something I'm predicting, but something that would have me concerned. And one of the ones I brought to the table is that maybe the NFC South were just underestimating as a whole because there's just so much talent coming out of that division, um, whether it's, you know, with New Orleans. Obviously, that's the one team with maybe a little bit better of a quarterback. So Chris Olave is properly priced, in my opinion. But then, you know, there's a lot of talent thereafter. I mean, Kamara's talented. Michael Thomas is talented. Kyle Pitts is talented. Drake London's talented. Miles Sanders is talented. Mike Evans is talented. Chris Godwin's talented. Rashad White's talented. And all these players have really uh, affordable ADPs, we should say. Like none of those yeah. players come at a premium. All of them, if you wanted to just put a circle around them, you could go get them in your drafts, you know, round five or later. None of them really stick out as uh, a guy that's tough, tougher to acquire, you know, like other divisions have with the best players, the best talent in those divisions. So I guess there is a world where a team like Atlanta just is simply better than we thought, right? Then maybe they're a little mm -hmm. different than what we thought. Maybe bringing in Bijan really opens the rest of the game up. Maybe it's, yeah, it's mm -hmm. not just now we have the best rusher in a great running system. Now we have one of the best rushers in the league, which opens everything else up. That could happen. I'm not, I don't have it projected that way, but I think it's naive to not think that that's within their own possibilities. And if you are in a position where you just want to bank on the talent and see how it plays out, you can go do that. I just recommend if you do make that stab on Kyle Pitts in that territory with that mentality, that you follow it up later with a backup plan. I, I think having a backup plan for Kyle Pitts is really important because the problem is if you draft Kyle Pitts there, you're probably never dropping him. You're probably sitting on him for the whole season, whether he's giving you two points or 10 points, you're probably sitting on Kyle Pitts the whole year because you're like, I spent my fifth round or my sixth round pick on Kyle Pitts. I can't just cut him. That's where a lot of managers found themselves last year. And we kept telling you guys to hold on to him, hold on to him. And there's a little bit of this sunk cost fallacy. So I will just say, if you do take Kyle Pitts, I would recommend some kind of a late, backup plan whether it's you know david and joku's a guy we're really into because it's like round 10 where you get to take him or maybe even after that you know round 10 11 you take like a dalton kincaid maybe you just, just have some kind of a backup plan or at least identify players to highlight and target off the waiver wire maybe you know your jake ferguson or someone else that could potentially step and break out of sam laporta you keep your eye on an exciting young player and a good offense so i like the call i just would say you know come in with a, a plan b just in case it doesn't work out uh, we'll keep moving. We'll stay in the division, Nate. Who is your round six guy? Round six is Chris Godwin. Should come as no surprise to anybody who's consumed anything JWB over the past, uh, what is it, six, seven, eight months at this point. We've been talking about Chris Godwin and his value. I really think he's just being held down. I think if this guy was in a good, a projected good offense, a projected spot, like just just trade uh, quarterbacks with Aaron Rodgers, right? Like talking about the upside case for Garrett Wilson and Rodgers fixating on a top target. If Rodgers was Godwin's uh, quarterback for this year, how high would Godwin be going this year? I think you'd see a significant difference. And I really think that Godwin is probably going to play into what the Buccaneers are going to have to do. I don't think that defense is going to be all that great. I think they're going to have to try to matriculate the ball down the field a little bit and Godwin thrives uh, underneath a little bit more than a guy like Mike Evans does. So I do anticipate that Godwin one could be the primary beneficiary of kind of the situations that the Buccaneers might find themselves in this year. And I just believe in the talent. Uh, I think there's a chance, a ceiling case that Godwin gets to like 90 catches this year, and especially in a PPR format. I'm pretty in on Chris Godwin in the sixth round. Yeah, no, I love it. You obviously don't have to, to tell, talk me into Chris Godwin. Uh, a couple of things I'll put out there is the player who has succeeded the most with 
uh, volume with Baker Mayfield was Jarvis Landry. Chris Godwin's just a beefed up, better version of Jarvis Landry, more athletic, right. better with the ball in his hands. And then also one thing Baker can do is throw the ball downfield. So I think Mikey Evans even does have a route to redemption here. And he always has a serviceable touchdown percentage. So I don't think we're as limited in that department, maybe as it's been made out to be for Tampa Bay. And then the like for like comparison I like to make is like last year with Seattle, everyone pushed Tyler Lockett into the forties, kind of like what we're seeing with Mike Evans. They pushed DK Metcalf closer to wide receiver 30, like what we see with Chris Godwin. And at the end of the day, even though it was Geno Smith, the quarterback, we all had bottom barrel expectations for the talent shine through these wide receivers that uh, have performed historically came in and did just that. So I like the bet. I don't think that the cost is a problem uh, just given mm -hmm. the upside these players have and how we could just be wrong about these quarterbacks. Uh, I, I do like Chris Godwin. I've taken him just about everywhere, but we'll stay with Seattle. I was just talking about uh, Nate, who is your guy in round seven? Yeah, in round seven, I'm looking at the upside of Jackson Smith and Jigba, and I can't get away from it. We saw this last year with Garrett Wilson, how Garrett Wilson was going even later than this, actually, in most drafts. And he was just an absolute smash pick uh, in the later rounds. A lot of us were in on those picks of Garrett Wilson. And this year, I think that guy is Jackson Smith and Jigba. He's a little more expensive than Garrett Wilson last year, but I think you could see a lot of the same things come to fruition here. I'm not super concerned. I know a lot of people are talking about how is he going to find his way to get targets with Metcalf and with Lockett there. You know, there's a lot of ways that this plays out over the course of a season. Nobody stays healthy all season uh, in the NFL. It's pretty rare anyway. Tyler Lockett might be the exception to that because he refuses to get hit. But uh, there's, in my mind, at least a pretty good chance that JSN is the number two target just by virtue of somebody being off the field a fair bit. And then I honestly think there's a pretty good chance that he's the number two target just by value of his skill as well. So I think there's... a few different paths where JSN really kind of takes off, especially towards the back half of the season. As we often see with these rookie wide receivers, they take a little while to get acclimated, but then really start to take off as the season progresses. And I'm just willing to bet on a guy who is able to shine in a room with Garrett Wilson and with Chris Olave and Jackson Smith and Jigma put up a bigger season than them in that same season where those two were drafted. I think JSN can really, uh, really shine in this offense. I think they drafted him for that specific purpose. I think Gino's an accurate quarterback who can get him the ball as he's making those quick cuts underneath through the slot where he likes to play. So I think that actually this situation is pretty great for JSN, and I think he's being held down a little bit from where he could be if people were a little bit more in on the situation. Yeah, I think this team really showed us that they're more open to the passing game last year. Uh, Gino Sosa was the most accurate thrower in the entire league last year, which is hilarious to look. I never thought that would be on our bingo card, but here we are in the year of 2023 talking Gino Smith. Um, I have Jackson Smith and Jigba capitalizing 17% of this team's targets, which comes pretty darn close to 100 targets, which for a rookie is pretty darn solid, especially if by the back end of the year, that's really when he's cooking. I still have Tower Rocket rate at, rate at uh, 19.5%, DK just under 24%, like numbers that they historically have been within 1% or 2% of. It's not really crazy to fit Jackson with Jigba in here. People think it's too many mouths to feed, but this offense is really, really consolidated, right? We got the one-two punch in the backfield, and then it's these are the three guys, right? I think Noah Fant maybe takes a little bit of a hit in his target share this, this upcoming yep. season. Um, and that's what kind of opens up the room. I don't think necessarily DK and Lockett have to lose a whole ton to fit Jackson with injury and potentially it lowers a little bit of that ceiling yes but 
I think there's plenty enough to go around for all three of these guys to have fantasy relevance. And with Dak Smith and Jigba, um, I would just say, you know, he didn't get put on the pup that is a positive for him because, you know, he had the wrist mm -hmm. he, surgery. He hurt it in the preseason and um, they have a week five bye. So him not going on the pup tells me that they anticipate him to come back at least by week three, which would be great. If, even if week two, I just wouldn't hold out and expect him to play week one, but maybe that gives you an extra IR spot. You put him on your IR once he gets called out and you can go pick up maybe a rookie or a player. You're really excited to see how they do in week one that you're totally content cutting for week two when you need Justin Jigba if they don't pan out. So just a little notion there. We'll run through the last couple guys here in round eight. Nate, JDB's favorite should be a surprise to no one. Who's the guy? It's Jahan Dotson here, and I honestly tried to look away from Dotson because I've said so much about Dotson. I've been a big fan vocally since I first got a peek at his tape coming out, and honestly, I... I just can't get away from it here at this price in the eighth round. If you can get Jahan Dotson in the eighth round, I'm all about that kind of price. Uh, so I'm really just factoring in that the upside case here is that Dotson just completely kind of takes over in his second season. You look at what he was able to do down the stretch the end of last year, really started to command a really prominent target share in that offense, kind of taking that end of year step that we talked about for the rookie wide receiver, what you like to see. We saw it with Dotson. We saw his ability in the red zone throughout the season, right from the start. Um, made a big splash in week one, did all the things that you really want to see from your rookie wide receiver. And now we have Sam Howell here. And I really don't think Sam Howell, again, it's a little bit of the uh, Kyle Pitts situation where I don't think Sam Howell is worse. Um, I liked Sam Howell as a prospect coming out. Um, definitely the NFL didn't like him nearly as much as I did, but I think Howell can at least be a capable distributor, which is something that quite honestly, Jahan Dotson has never had, even going back to his time at Penn State. So I really think that there's a ceiling case here for Dotson where he absolutely takes off in his second year. And I'm willing to buy in at that eighth round price for sure. Yeah. So with Terry McLaurin there, we talked a little bit about this in our wide receiver battles. Um, he, Last year, yes, had his best finish 14, but in our points per game basis where we take out all games where people play less than 25% of snaps, he still came out as wide receiver 27 in points per game. He's just kind of a longevity guy. He's very safe as a wide receiver three. Terry, I don't think that's going to change. If we are going to make a bet on one of those two guys where I can take Jahan Dotson significantly later, we're talking multiple rounds, and there's a non-zero chance that they have an equal finish. I think that Jahan Dotson is an absolute no-brainer guy to target in this wide receiver room. Not that I necessarily have a problem with Terry McLaurin at his cost. We always say, um, I don't like when people say, well, I don't need to take Nick Chubb. I'm going to take Kareem Hunt five rounds later. That is a completely different thing. There's a reason that those two go different. Even with people like, I'm not going to take Jamar Chase and take T Higgins two rounds later. It's like, there's a big difference. There's a big talent difference. Well, I don't necessarily believe that there's a significant talent difference from Terry McCorn, Jahan Dotson. So I'm willing to make that bet there. And, Jahan Dotson's touchdown wasn't completely a fluke. Sure, he's probably due to regress from the rate he had in his rookie season, but he had 20 touchdowns in his last two years in college with Sean Clifford throwing him the ball. So I, I think that he showed us who he is, and we should believe him. He's a stud. I'm really excited. And Terry's got that turf toe. We don't know exactly how that could possibly linger, and that could just be more opportunity for Jahan Dotson. So I love the call. Nate, wrap it up. We got one last guy to go through here. Who is your favorite player in round nine? Yeah, this one takes a little bit more projection, but I am still in on Traylon Burks in the ninth round. Again, just thinking about that ceiling case, 
I uh, really liked the limited action that I did see from Traylon Burks last year. It seemed like he had a bit of a rocky start, had the asthma issues and a bunch of uh, strange stuff, kind of stuff that makes you feel a little bit queasy about a player. But it really seems like this offseason, everything's been all positive. All notes have been positive. And I'm not too concerned, honestly, about DeAndre Hopkins coming in there. Uh, really, I think that's why you're getting Burks in the ninth round. I think he would have been starting to get a lot of steam by now if the Hopkins hadn't come there. Uh, Hopkins has not really finished a lot of seasons in the last little bit, so you can play into that narrative if you want. He's not really put together a full season in the last few. So uh, I think there's a chance that Burks... Uh, is starting to ascend as Hopkins is starting to descend, that you start to get a little bit more of Burks, especially again towards the back half of the season. Really, I think last year was a bit of a lost season, but you still had the flashes, what you like to see getting targeted downfield. He's still got that leaping ability, that ability, um, kind of that Mike Evans or Mike Williams kind of downfield threat ability. And he actually did command a decent targets per route number as well. Uh, especially towards the back end there when he was a bit more of a focus. So I think there's an upside case in the ninth round for Traylon Burks where I'm just willing to take that shot, especially if I've got some stable guys like Chris Godwin uh, that I've amassed earlier and I'm just looking for that upside. Traylon Burks in the ninth side is a, one of the biggest upside bets you can make. No, it, it is an interesting call, right? If he hadn't had the LCL scare, which he's back at practice now, I don't know if he's going to play in week one, but it means it tells me that he should be back sooner rather than later. Uh, without that injury, he would have been going right between Jack Nathan Jigba and Jahan Dotson, right around that pick 80, or just a little earlier, actually. He was going right between wide receiver 30 and wide receiver 36 in that little pocket um, before the injury, and him going now outside pick 100. Uh, it's just a really good opportunity to buy in here for me and at a much lower risk, right? There was a little risk with Hopkins there. so a little risk with Tennessee potentially having the bottom fall out uh, altogether. And it could just be another kind of lost year. But yeah, let's let's say that they stay. They win games like they have historically. Ryan Tannehill stays healthy and John Hopkins hasn't lost a step. I think it's a really good opportunity for Burks to have some flex appeal here and potentially more depending on what happens with Hopkins or how exactly he is used. And then, of course, touchdown variants. So I like the call here. I really do like him in round nine. Uh, it's been a lot easier to click the button on him now that he falls. So that being said, guys, uh, that's all we have for you. That is Nate's eight players that he is targeting in his drafts in the first nine rounds. You can go find Nate at NathanGN on Twitter for his football or at Apple's Genos for hockey. It is hockey season. Nate is the best in the biz. So if you're a hockey guy, go follow him and all things JDB at JDB underscore FF. Hop in our Discord uh, in the top of the descriptions of the Clips catalog to find a take on every single player. Till next time, guys. We will see you.